number five. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, so if you're just joining with us, uh, we started in January, and uh, we just turned the chapter in Ephesians 5 here, and last week we covered about being an imitator of God as beloved children walking in that love, and uh, this morning we're going to see a contrast to that and I, I want to tell you now in advance to, so that you can prepare for this. Uh, this morning's message is not going to be your typical Sunday morning message. Uh, as Jerry just prayed that the uh, word of God would cut us. And I want to say that as a skilled uh, surgeon, uh, God is going to be doing some cutting this morning. And he's going to cut very close to the bone. And uh, so I just want to want to let you know about that. And you know, these met, these uh, verses that we're going to look at here, they are sometimes hard and difficult to bear. Sometimes these things we don't uh, we don't talk about uh, in a church because we want to try to keep things as uh, as as pure and 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 things like that. But they are in the Word of God and. I have been commanded by God to preach the whole counsel of God's word. And so even though these uh, messages like today may be difficult and hard to bear, they are necessary for, for the church uh, because the church needs to be pure. It needs to be without spot, without uh, wrinkle. And so I believe these types of messages are necessary uh, for three reasons. One, to command believers of what we are to avoid and how we are to live. Secondly, uh, to serve as a warning to unbelievers of the wrath and judgment of God. And thirdly, to remind us of the great salvation that uh, we have been given in the depths of sin that God has rescued us from. And I believe that there is great danger in the uh, world today for the church that as we see the world of how corrupt and immoral it is, that there's a great danger for the church to become more and more like the world um, in the sense that uh, sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness that uh, it goes on in the world. And I believe that there are many churches that do not take a stand on sexual immorality, but rather they embrace it or they celebrate it. And God has commanded us to take a stand against sexual immorality. He's commanded us to be pure. He's commanded us uh, to imitate his type of love, is what uh, he said in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Um, so there is a great danger of sexual immorality uh, within the church. I have a few statistics here. Uh, Focus on the Family and Fuller Seminary conducted a survey among pastors and found almost 40% polled said that they have had an extramarital affair since beginning their ministry. The survey went on further to say that in the United States, we lose a pastor a day because he seeks an immoral path instead of God seeking intimacy where it must not be found. They also said about 35% of pastors personally deal with sexual sin. A study was given in 1988 by Leadership Journal on Sex and the American Clergy of the pastors responding to the survey, 20% said that they looked at sexually oriented media, print, video, or movies 
at least once a month. And this, of course, was uh, before the internet, so you can imagine now the access that uh, we have today, and I'm sure that those, uh, those numbers are up in, in a higher uh, percentage. 38% of these pastors said that they find themselves fantasizing about sex with someone other than their spouse at least once a month. The same survey asked these pastors, since you've been in a local church ministry, have you ever done anything with someone not, that was not your spouse that you feel was sexually inappropriate? 23% answered yes. The inappropriate behavior was left undefined and could have ranged from unguarded words to flirtation to adultery. When asked specifically about adultery, 12% of pastors answered yes since entering local church ministry. Leadership asked the same questions of readers of Christianity Today magazine who were not pastors. The uh, incidences of immorality were nearly double with 45% indicating that they had done something inappropriate and 23% admitting to extramarital sex. Back in August of uh, 2015, an online dating site uh, called uh, Ashley Madison, which is a site that caters to spouses who want to cheat on their spouses, was hacked, exposing uh, married cheaters the world over. According to industry studies, 70% of 18 to 24-year-old men visit pornographic sites in a typical month. These young men represent something like one-fourth of all visitors to pornographic sites of the internet. The next largest group of users are young men in their 20s and 30s, 66% of whom report being regular users of pornography. Today, the average teenage boy is likely to have seen thousands of explicit Sexual images ranging across the spectrum from sexualities and perversions. Many of these boys and young men are driven by sexual fantasies that previous generations of young men would not have even known existed. Today, Americans rent more than 800 million pornographic videos and DVDs every year. About 20% of all video rentals are pornographic at least 11,000 pornographic videos are produced annually, amounting to revenue for the adult film industry estimated at between five and $10 billion a year. In January 23rd, 1989, James Dobson of Focus on the Family had the only and exclusive interview with Ted Bundy, a convicted serial killer. The interview is titled Fatal Addiction, and it was recorded on the eve of Bundy's execution. And it stands as a solemn reminder and a warning of how sexual immorality can plague the mind and the life. So knowing all of the filth and all the debauchery and all the, all the, the cesspool of iniquity that, that surrounds us, these words that Paul writes here in Ephesians 5 Kind of, kind of ring as a as a warning to the church, as they ring as a warning to to Christians uh, to abstain from sexual uh, immorality, and and these words become very urgent, um, and we are called as beloved children 
to be an imitator of God and to walk in love. And so we need to eliminate this sexual immorality, this sexual impurity from our thoughts, our words, our behaviors. Um, we are to be living up to Christ's example and walking in love, learning Christ. Now, the reasons here is we're going to look here that Paul gives for these commands are not so that you will have a happy marriage. Although I do believe that as a husband and a wife, um, if you abstain from sexual immorality, Yes, you will have a happy marriage, but it's more than just that. You see, rather, he tells us that those who practice these types of behaviors will not be in heaven, but they will come under God's wrath. And so it is to your eternal advantage to apply these words to your heart, to do an inspection of your own heart before God, Am I a child of God? And if so, should I be walking in love? So we should understand and apply uh, Paul's words here. So let's examine these verses a little bit more carefully here. Uh, so we should be living up to Christ's example. Uh, look what Ephesians 5 verses 3 through 4 says. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So in these words, notice in the text there, Paul uses the word but twice. Okay? He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you. And then he says, but instead, at the last part of the uh, phrase there, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, these two words are serving as a contrast to what we previously looked at in Ephesians uh, 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. We're supposed to be walking in love. We're supposed to be an imitator of God's love. And then he says, but sexual immorality, covetousness, impurity should not even be named among you. And so he wants to make it clear that the love to which Christ calls us is in complete opposite with the lust of the pagan world. And so if I'm going to live up to Christ's example, then your life, my life, the church's life must be distinctly different, not the same. When Paul was writing this letter to the Christians that were living at Ephesus, the city was noted for moral corruption. The temple of uh, Artemis offered ritual prostitution as part of its worship. Sexual immorality was commonplace, and the emperor Nero during this time was openly homosexual and was known to have been sexually involved with his own mother. So it was imperative for the church at this time when Paul was writing to, for, to warn them to stay away from sexual immorality. Do we not find ourselves in that same situation today? with all of the abounding sexual immorality that's going on in this world, and God calls you, God calls me, God calls the church to stay away from sexual immorality. I think it's important to stress this. Even though a person may live a moral life, you know, a person that may say, I've, I've never uh, entertained any types of thoughts of sexual immorality, even though a person may live a moral life, um, it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed heaven. 
Uh, because as we saw in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not of works, uh, lest any man should boast. So it's not, up to the, it's not up to the church to make people more moral, but rather we should be pointing people to Jesus Christ. We should be preaching Christ. We should be commanding people, calling people to repent of their uh, immorality and point people to Christ, preach the gospel. So how do we do that? We have to be distinctly different. Uh, so it should not even be named among you. Secondly, look at this. Don't live a life of sexual immorality or covetousness. So if I'm going to live up to Christ's example of walking in love, uh, being an imitator of God's love, then I should not be living a life of sexual immorality or covetousness. Now, Paul says this, this kind of behavior, look what he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Uh, and he says it's, it's not even as proper among the saints. That word saints is not some special class of higher class of, of, of citizens or holy relics. Uh, the word saints is a, is a word for, for Christians. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're a saint now. You, you don't become a saint when you die. And you're a saint now. And Paul says this type of behavior should not even be named among you. Notice in these, uh, in these verses here, these phrases, look what he says. Uh, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Then what he says, uh, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking. Then he says here, let there be thanksgiving. Now let me ask you a question. Those words, must not, let there be no, let there be, are those commands or are they suggestions? They're commands. So when they are commanded in God's word, that means that they're not open for debate, we don't sit around and, and try to figure out, well, did God really mean this? I mean, I don't really think he really meant that because, you know, we're supposed to be loving and we're not supposed to be judgmental. And these are the commands of God. And he says, let there be no, must not, let there be. You see, we live in a world today that suggests that God's commands are, are open for, for debate or they're open for, for us to kind of talk about and, and, and try to debate about them. But sad to say that even among Christians, many believe that God's word is not the absolute standard of which we are to live our life, but rather that culture is what dictates what is okay or what's not okay. Even if, even if, even if the, the, the country that we live in today uh, said that this is okay, and it goes against God's word, that doesn't mean that we as Christians say, okay, well, it's okay. Because it goes against the standard of God's word. So Paul also uses this word. Look what he says. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. You see, this doesn't give us any wiggle room to say, well, certain types of impurity are okay. Or certain types of sexual immorality are okay. He says all sexual immorality. Immorality and impurity uh, should be 
uh, not even named among us. According to the Pew Research Center, a poll that was did back in 2015, most U.S. Christian groups are growing more accepting of homosexuality. Americans who identify as Christians, a majority of U.S. Christians, 54% now say that homosexuality should be accepted rather than discouraged by society. Among liberals, 89% approve of sex between an unmarried man and women. 33% of conservatives agree. Having a baby out of wedlock is acceptable to 83% of liberals and 33% of conservatives. Let me be very abundantly clear. God's standards of morality are not open for vote. His commands stand irregardless of what our society says is acceptable or not. He designed the sexual relationship for a man and a woman in a lifelong committed marriage. And so when we practice that, when we stay within those boundaries, we're able to enjoy the wonderful gifts that God gave to us. But when we cross over those boundaries and we try to push out those boundaries, even though there's pleasure in that, we will face consequences uh, sometimes for the rest of our life. So we need to make sure that we're keeping God's commandments. And even though it's difficult in the short term, it's deeply fulfilling in the long run. Now let's examine these words here in more detail because Paul is going to give us these six words here about what it defines immoral behavior. And really, all of immorality stems from the heart. That's where it comes from. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, 21 through 23, For from within, out of the human heart, come evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All these evils, Jesus said, come from within and defile a person. So if sexual immorality, if impurity and covetousness comes from the heart, it's a heart issue. And so we must deal with it on the heart level because it's from within. So let's look at these words here. The first word he uses is immorality. It's the word pornea. This is any type of sexual immorality. Uh, the word pornea is the word that we get our word pornography from. Uh, it includes premarital sex, extramarital sex, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, and the use of pornography. It is the opposite of the love to which God has called us to walk in. So any sex outside of the lifelong commitment of marriage is not rooted in love, but it's rooted in lust. And so immorality is used for your own sexual gratification and desires. And Paul says, this should not even be named among you. Secondly, the word impurity. So he says, let there be no sexual immorality nor impurity. This word is dirty or impure. Uh, in God's word, the word impurity is a word that was used to describe a, a pus that formed around an infected wound. <laughs> In the moral realm, it refers to that which contaminates others and is repulsive and disgusting. 
Paul used it in uh, Ephesians 4.19 when he said that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity with greediness. But it's not just impurity, but any kind of impurity. So within this context here, Paul's talking about he's strengthening his previous command for us to walk in love and to avoid sexual immorality. And so this command is especially relevant for those who want to push the boundaries. Uh, my wife and I, we worked with teenagers for nine years as a as youth pastor. And, you know, you would have uh, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships uh, in the youth group. And, you know, you always knew who was dating who and who liked who and, you know, who broke up with who and all this kind of nonsense. And I would, I would try to urge to them... Stay away from sexual immorality. The only time that you should be dating is if you're ready to get married. Why? Because you open yourself up to all kinds of other temptations, sexual temptations. And so people that want to push the boundary to see how far we can get to the line without crossing over, Paul says that's a form of impurity. Trying to push the boundary and so we should cultivate a love for purity in every area of our life, not just sexual purity. Then he uses this word, covetousness or idolatry. This is greed. Paul uses this word in 419. Again, remember he said that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So right beside these sexual sins here in uh, 419, he equates this with uh, uh, Ephesians 5.5, 5, and he equates it with idolatry. So a person who is controlled by covetousness or idolatry is a greedy person. Uh, James says in uh, James chapter 4, uh, where do all the fights and the quarrels come among you? Because of your greedy hearts, you wanting things that you cannot have and you're greedy for them and so you fight to obtain. So a greedy person is a covetous or idolatrous person. They are always wanting more. A person who is sexually immoral is a greedy person because greed is motivated by selfish pleasure apart from God. It's desiring what, what you cannot have because God says you cannot have it. It seeks to find pleasure in something other than God while rejecting God's commandments. You know, you can be greedy for all kinds of things. Money, food, power, or as Paul says here in this context, sex. And so by forbidding greed, God is addressing the kind of heart that drives all of these passions within us and these impure desires. He says they're greedy for these types of things. You're just wanting more and more and more. Then he uses this word filthiness. This is indecency, obscenity, or shameful thing. It's disgraceful to even talk about it. It's disgraceful. There used to be a time that things that were disgraceful brought shame, but now 
in our, in our world that we live in today, things are just so open and they're rampant and there's no shame. And Paul says that these things are disgraceful to even talk about. They should not even be named among you. Then he uses this word, foolish talk. And this is talk that is morally deficient. Uh, the word comes from uh, two words that mean foolish speech. We get our word moron from the word foolish. Right? So if you tell somebody that they're a moron, you're telling them that they are foolish. In the Bible, the fool is not someone who is mentally deficient, but rather someone who is morally deficient because he ignores God's word. Now, in this context, Paul is referring to speech that, is, that disregards or makes light of God's moral commandments. They're foolish. And it's foolish talk. Then he uses this word, crude joking. And it means to turn quickly. It's wits with dirty meanings. Have you ever met somebody that, that's just really fast on their feet? And they, they, can, they can think of comebacks, I mean, just real fast. Or they say something and they can come up with something else. Uh, a lot of the uh, comedians that are very perverse in their, in their language, uh, they, they are able to take certain types of meanings and turn them into sexually immoral meanings. This is the kind of talk that Paul is talking about. He says, put this stuff away from you. Don't practice this type of, of, uh, of lifestyle. So they use sex as a way of joking or, or making jokes. So the command of moral purity here covers not only our behavior, Paul says, but our speech and even our thoughts. And so this is, passage is not only uh, a place where, where Paul deals with this, because all throughout the New Testament, there are plenty of examples of where God forbids us to be using or engaging in any type of sexual immorality or impurity. Uh, just in Paul's letters alone, he addresses immorality in Romans chapter 1 and Romans 13. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, 7, and 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 7, and 12. Galatians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. Colossians 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Timothy 1, 3, 4, 5, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and Titus chapters 1, 2, and 3. So the Bible strongly forbids any type of sexual immorality or impurity. And who was Paul writing to in all of these letters? The church, Christians. And it's a warning to us as believers to abstain from this type of of behavior, So we should be on guard against the sexual temptation uh, that tempts us all. Let's look at the third thing here. Practice thanksgiving. So if I'm going to live up to the standard of God and, and put away sexual immorality and impurity, God says the way that we do this is practice thanksgiving. So what is the answer to all the immorality and the covetousness and the greed of our hearts? Thanksgiving. Now, you would think that Paul would have been inspired to, to write a number of things, such as uh, love or mercy or self-control or joy. But instead, God inspired Paul to write thanksgiving. 
You see, God shows us how powerful a spirit of gratitude can be as a weapon in the fight against immorality. Because the only time people are immoral and impure is when they are greedy for the things that are immoral and impure. So the opposite to greed is thanksgiving. So what does thankfulness have to do with purity? A lot. You see, to be thankful, you must be in submission to God's sovereign rule over your life in every area, in every aspect, in every circumstance. When we grumble or we complain, we are really saying that we know better than what God has for our life. And so we're not being thankful. We become greedy. If you're grumbling about being single or about being married to the wrong person, you're not just complaining about your circumstances, reality, you're complaining about God's goodness and wisdom in these aspects in your life. And see, this goes all the way back to the garden. Remember in Genesis 3, that's why, that's why Genesis is so important because it lays the foundation for every doctrine in God's word. And in Genesis 3, remember, the serpent comes into the garden. Eve is there, and he tempts Eve to take of the fruit of the tree. And he says, God doesn't want you to have this. God's hiding something from you because he knows when you eat it, (laughs) you're going to be like God. You're going to know things like you've never known them before. And in her greed, in her wanting, she saw that it was desirous to make one wise. She took it and she ate and she gave to Adam and he did eat as well. And so it's those, uh, those desires that, that Satan uses. He tempts us and he uses, those, he uses that same tactic today. He shows us that, that life could be great. You know, we start thinking, oh man, I married the wrong woman. Man, and we start looking around. Boy, you know, if I, if, if I just had me a wife like that, my life wouldn't be as bad. What's happening? Your heart is becoming greedy. It's lusting. Satan is trying to tempt you and draw you. So when the goodness of God is perverted and distorted, a person becomes unthankful for what God has given them. Where does all this sexual immorality come from? I mean, in the culture that we live today, you you see people that that are celebrating sexual immorality and sexual impurity. Where does all that come from? Go over to Romans chapter number one. This is interesting what, uh, what Paul writes here, Romans 1. And we're actually going to back up a few verses here. We'll read some verses and then we'll back up and we'll get to the root of where all this comes from. Look at Romans chapter 1. And uh, look at verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature lesbianism 
And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, there's that greed, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Where does all this stuff come from? Well, let's back up. Look at verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Where did that come from? Look at verse 24. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Where did that come from? Look at verse 23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, idolatry. Where did that come from? Because they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Where did that come from? Verse 21. For all they knew, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or what? Give thanks. That's why I say thankfulness is the answer to sexual immorality. It's the answer to impurity. It's the answer to all forms of, of, of sexual immorality. It's thankfulness. And Paul says we should be practicing thanksgiving. Put away, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You see, God created sex. Sex is not a dirty word. God created sex. God created sex as a gift for husband and wife. But when we desire sex with another who is not your spouse, your desire is pointed in the wrong direction. And this can be said of all things that Paul lists as being immoral and impure. And if you struggle with sexual immorality, one of your greatest needs is to grow in the grace of gratitude. Become a thankful person. Sexually immoral people are thankless people because your desire is to escape from what the Lord has given you. And you, you create this fake universe full of things that, that you do not have and will never have. And so your joy and your completeness must be found in Christ. Be a thankful person. Let's look lastly here. I want to end this with a warning and, and hope. Don't be deceived. Ephesians 5, 5 through 6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Number one, don't be deceived. Immoral and greedy people will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. 
It only makes sense that there will not be immoral or greedy people who are idolaters in heaven. Because it wouldn't be heaven if those types of people were there. And Paul says, don't be deceived. These types of people will not be there. You see, genuine Christians sometimes may fall into a sinful vice. But no genuine Christian can continue in these types of sins. As John uh, clearly states in 1 John 3, 7 and 8. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Secondly, don't be deceived by anyone with empty words about God's wrath. Sad to say that our culture and even church leaders lure people and give people false sayings such as, God is not a God of judgment. He's a God of love. And you know what? God's not going to judge you for being like that. It's not your fault. It's okay. It's okay. That is blasphemy. It's not of God. And so we should not be deceived by anyone with empty words about God's wrath. People hear popular sayings such as, God made me this way or I was born this way. Yeah, you were born a sinner. Corrupt, evil, sinful passions in your heart. And the only answer to you, the only, the only remedy for you is the hope of the gospel to repent of your sin and turn to Christ. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 22 has something to say of people who say these types of luring words to deceive people. He says, suffering harm as the wages for their harmful ways by considering it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are stains and blemishes indulging in their deceitful pleasures when they feast together with you. Their eyes full of adultery never stop sinning. They entice unstable people. They have trained their hearts for greed. These cursed children, by forsaking the right way path, they have gone astray because they followed the way of Balaam, son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, yet was rebuked for his own transgression. A dumb donkey, speaking with a human voice, restrained the prophet's madness. These men are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm for whom the utter depths of darkness have been reserved. For by speaking high-sounding but empty words, they are able to entice with fleshly desires and with debauchery people who have just escaped from those who reside in air. Although these false teachers promise such people freedom, they themselves are enslaved to immorality. For whatever a person succumbs to, to that he is enslaved." 
For if after they have escaped the filthy things of the world through the rich knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again get entangled in them and succumb to them, their last state has become worse for them than their first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn back from the holy commandment that had been delivered to them. They are illustrations of this true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow, after washing herself, wallows in the mire. If someone professes to be a Christian, but he lives in habitual disobedience to God's moral standards, it is evident that that person is truly not born again. And so they must repent. They must turn to Christ for forgiveness and salvation. But there is great hope, however. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, what kind of hope is that? Listen to what Paul says next. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. There is great hope for the homosexual. There's great hope for the sexually immoral. There's great hope for the covetous. There's great hope for the idolatrous. Because Paul says that through Jesus Christ, you can be washed, you can be justified, and you can be sanctified. And you turn to Christ. And so if Christ is calling you, if Christ is drawing you, do not harden your heart. Turn to God. Turn to Christ. Repent of your sins. Let's pray together. 